The world is talking about Afghanistan. That's because, after the majority of U.S. and NATO soldiers left the country, the Taliban completed the final phase of their takeover. Beginning on the 1st of May this year, the Taliban began taking over rural regions of Afghanistan, and in the first three months they went from controlling 73 to 223 districts. On the 6th of August, they began the takeover of provincial capitals. Nine days later, on the 15th of August, President Ashraf Ghani fled the country and the Taliban moved into Kabul and captured the government buildings. They did this in a planned and coordinated way and they faced little to no resistance from the Afghan military that has 300,000 members. After 20 years of US and NATO-driven war in the country and after having been toppled and fought against for years, the group was able to peacefully and methodically take over the country. As governments around the world evacuate their own citizens along Afghans who can justify their seat on a plane, the Taliban are pushing for international acceptance and legitimacy as rulers of the country. The group is heavily promoting a much more tolerant stance towards women, in drastic contrast to the policies they implemented when they were last in power. Talib means student in Pashto, and Taliban means the students. Officially, the last time the Taliban controlled Afghanistan was between 1996 to 2001. Their policies were based on Islamic Sharia law and were very strict and violent. The country is made up of tribes that have spread around the remote land and its people are some of the poorest on earth. Afghanistan has officially been at war for 37 of the last 40 years. And that's why many Afghan people actually praised the Taliban once they took power in the mid-1990s because they established law and order and brought stability to the chaotic region. The Taliban rose to power in a popular movement, at least in their Pashtun homelands. They brought crime levels down. Male civilians could circulate freely, provided they were bearded and praying regularly. Women were not encouraged to be outside of the home and they were banned from attending school. Women were cruelly treated in a legal system that disqualified their testimonies and made rape, unless witnessed by four corroborating males, the same as adultery and therefore punishable by death. Young people were turned away from secular education to memorize the Quran, and women were forced out of public life. The U.S. and its allies swiftly removed the Taliban from power when they invaded in 2001. The U.S. has spent over $2 trillion fighting militant groups in the country and training the Afghan army. Broken down, the cost is $300 million U.S. million per day, every day, for two decades. Over 20 years, the Afghan army has suffered 69,000 deaths, and 2,500 U.S. soldiers have been killed. Official figures show that 7,800 private military contractors were deployed to Afghanistan and that nearly 48,000 Afghan civilians were killed. There are many reasons that explain the Taliban's rise to power in the last two weeks. One of the major factors is the geography of the country itself. By comparison, Afghanistan is slightly larger than France, slightly smaller than the state of Texas, and it's nearly entirely mountainous. It has tall mountains and deep valleys covering the vast majority of the country. 
This topography has political consequences. Afghanistan is home to many ethnic groups that are mostly isolated from each other between mountain ranges. Many of Afghanistan's towns and villages are located in these valleys, and they're difficult to reach. There's often just one or two roads that link the community with outside trading routes. Invading forces simply place themselves on the few roads that service the towns and villages with supplies and ambush the convoys of food and materials. They control and deny passage, and the valley's residents are soon left with no choice but to acquiesce to the demands of the occupier. It's still possible to do this today because the infrastructure projects promised by the U.S. and NATO forces that were supposed to connect the main cities were never completed. That's because in 2003, the focus shifted away from Afghanistan as the U.S. war machine spread to Iraq on the pretext of non-existent weapons of mass destruction. The present-day conflict in Afghanistan goes back further than the U.S.-led invasion of 2001 and the installation of a puppet president to govern the country. It goes back at least 45 years to the end of the 1970s, where the beginnings of today's struggles can be traced directly back to the United States Central Intelligence Agency. The CIA started funding Islamic guerrilla fighters known as the Mujahideen in July 1979. They hoped that the fighters would trigger a military intervention from the Soviet Union. They did, and the USSR invaded Afghanistan a few months later in December 1979. The U.S., along with Israel, Egypt, and Pakistan, provided the Mujahideen, or the Freedom Fighters, as they were called in Western media, with what they required to fight a proxy war with the U.S.'s long-established Cold War enemy. China, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom had similar programs to fund and arm the Mujahideen. After a brutal and costly war, Soviet soldiers left Afghanistan 10 years later, in 1989. A civil war then lingered in the country as the Mujahideen guerrillas and other militant groups struggled for power. The Mujahideen then lost control of most of the country. The Taliban emerged from northern Pakistan as the victors of the struggle in Afghanistan when they took Kabul in 1996. It is believed that the predominantly Pashtun movement first appeared in religious seminaries, mostly paid for by money from Saudi Arabia to preach Wahhabism a hardline form of Sunni Islam. The large majority of the world's opiates comes from Afghanistan. UN figures show that more than 80% of global opium and heroin supplies come from Afghanistan. So controlling the country means controlling this trade. Afghan poppy fields supply illegal markets for opium and heroin, among other derivatives. Poppy and opium production has gone up and down over the last 40 years. In the 1980s, the Mujahideen were responsible for driving the trade in its infancy, as it was another source of money to maintain control of the country and to fight the Soviet Union. They took Afghanistan from barely any poppy production to the world's leading supplier in the 1980s. Production then stabilized, and it even dropped at the end of the 1990s, according to official data. Once the Taliban took power in 96, they began trying to eradicate poppy production, and during their rule, the total area used to cultivate opium poppies fell from 82,000 hectares to only 8,000. Poppy and opium production then rose again drastically after the U.S. invasion in 2001. 
The estimated all-time high for poppy production was set in 2017, with 9,900 tons. The amount of land planted with poppies also hit an all-time high in 2017, and the area was four times larger than the level of the mid-1990s. In 2017, it represented $1.4 billion in sales by the owners of these poppy fields, and made up roughly 7% of Afghanistan's GDP. It's difficult to see how the recent Taliban takeover took members of the international military or intelligence communities by surprise. Just over one year ago, in 2020, U.S. President Trump signed the Doha Accord with the Taliban, in clear recognition that they were the force to negotiate with for the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the country. The Doha Agreement lays out the terms for the withdrawal of U.S. and NATO forces from Afghanistan, and it's important to note that it wasn't signed between the U.S. and the Afghan government, but by U.S. diplomats and an envoy from the Taliban. Over a year ago, the Taliban were already in a position to negotiate for the protection of U.S. troops during a peaceful withdrawal from the country. Today, the World Food Program says 14 million people are facing severe hunger in the nation of about 39 million. In the two weeks since the Taliban took Kabul, the U.S. and its allies have brought out more than 88,000 people. Until tomorrow, the 31st of August, when evacuations will no longer be allowed by the ruling Taliban government. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to Now to Sit. The French version of this episode is up next. <laughs>